I remember like catching Laura's eye. She says that she remembers that exact moment too, of like just staring into each other's eyes. She's watching me fall and I'm looking at her. After that moment, I remember something really hard hitting my head and then I wake up. We knew we could get in with light, but were we gonna be able to get out? I'm Rebecca Huntington, and you're listening to The Fine Line, real stories of adventure, risk, and rescue in the backcountry of Jackson Hole, Wyoming. This podcast is produced by Backcountry Zero, a project of Teton County Search and Rescue. Having the right partner is something we often strive for. So what happens when a hiking blind date turns into a rescue, and the one person at your side is someone you just met? That's what happened to Millie Jimenez. Even though she'd just met her hiking partner, Millie already knew many of the rescuers who rushed to her side because she works for Grand Teton National Park. Millie had the day off. She and her boyfriend Greg had decided to tackle a rugged trail in Avalanche Canyon. And Greg invited a new friend. Greg and I that summer decided that we were going to hike as many places as possible in the park. And my friend Veronica and Cassie had just done Avalanche. And they said that they saw a really big moose and it was terrifying and beautiful and they didn't see anyone. And I was like, let's do that. And then his friend, Laura, texted him and said, I'm free, the three of us should do something. And I hadn't met Laura yet. And I was like, great, the three of us can go hiking. Also, I'm afraid of bears, so the more people that I can have on a hike, the better. So I was really excited to have her go. And then Greg got a phone call saying that he had to go to work the next day. And he said, okay, I'll hike with you guys until 11 a.m. and then If you guys want to continue and have decided you have become friends, then you can continue hiking or the three of us can just come back. It's a hiking blind date a little bit. And he had gone to grad school with her, so he knew her really well. And so it was a lot of like meeting a new person kind of deal questions like, what do you do and how long have you guys like hung out? And it was a beautiful October, actually. It was pretty warm. It was clear. So we were walking along and one of the first things I see as we're hiking is a moose right smack in the middle of the trail. And I was like, I'm so happy there's three of us instead of just two of us, Greg. None of us really knew how to get up to Avalanche. We just had some sort of idea. So I will say we were totally unprepared going up, but we figured it out. The trail up to Avalanche is not a legitimate trail in our park. People can go hiking in it. It's an option if people have the resources and the capability to go hiking there but it's not a place that we would recommend to the public. The three of us combined knew the park well enough that we felt comfortable going out into the backcountry. Around 11, Greg, he mentioned he had to go back and Laura and I looked at each other and we were like, we can totally continue. Like, go away, Greg, like we can become best friends. And so he leaves us and we're already in the canyon. Hiking in the canyon is really intense because again, there's no real trail, really muddy and you can like, lose your way very quickly. We had gone over some logs. We could see our end point. We could see Tamina. Eventually we made it up to Tamina and it was gorgeous. And it was just so pretty and pleasant to be up there with like a new friend. I took one picture that day and I still have it. And it was just of the lake and the view. Because it was later in the day, we decided that we needed to like start hiking. So we couldn't spend too much time like dilly-dallying. And the really cool part of Tamina is that you can get to the edge of the lake and see it go into the waterfall. And it's really gorgeous. Um, So we wanted to see that. So we got pretty close to that and we're like, oh, it's so pretty. And again, because it's not, there's no real trail. When we decided to come back down, we couldn't quite remember like which way we had gone. 
And we could see a trail, like another trail. So we were like, let's just go down this way. And it looks like if we just like go down some of these rocks, then eventually we'll get to the bottom and we can just hike out. And so Laura was in front of me and we started climbing down these rocks together. And I wasn't totally scared or nervous at that time because, I mean, it was enough that like I had to get like on my hands and my knees, but I felt pretty okay about it. Laura's in front of me and we get to a spot where we have to go down a rock and she's below me on kind of like a ledge and I have to get to her. And so I'm like sitting on my butt with my hands down touching the rock. My feet keep sliding from underneath me. And this is when I, I start to freak out because I was like, I don't feel super comfortable with this. And so I'm like scooching back to get back to like a standing position or to a place where I can stand and like look around. I just remember not being able to like get to that spot to like a standing position. Um, so I'm still like on my butt and scooching with my hands and I just have to get to Laura and it's literally just like one step but it's like longer than my actual body length to get there um, and that's why I remember feeling nervous because it's longer than I am and it's like a tiny ledge and so I'm looking down at Laura and she's like it's okay just grab my hand and you'll get down here and like I can I can feel my hands starting to get sweaty and anytime I'm in that position now like I freak out a little bit I have my right hand on the boulder and my left hand, I was like, I need to grip something. So I gripped like a rock to the left of me. And I was trying to scooch really, really slowly to her because I was like, the slower I go, the more control I'll have and it'll be okay. Um, and then the next thing I remember is it's it's like when you get into an accident or when I got into this accident, it was like time stops in a very weird strange way because I started falling I remember like catching Laura's eye and when she told me the story back to me when I was in the hospital she says that she remembers that exact moment too of like just staring into each other's eyes and having an oh shit moment like she's watching me fall and I'm looking at her that like moment felt like minutes but I'm sure it was just a split second after that moment, I remember something really hard hitting my head. And then I wake up. Breathing hurts. Like moving hurts. And I can't get up. And Laura is looking down at me frantically asking me what my name is. Uh, my name's Chris Bellino and I'm the supervisor for the Jenny Lake Climbing Ranger Program. And uh, I was the incident commander of the rescue that day. It was kind of a weird day. So, you know, it was early October. Columbus Day. Columbus Day, that's so it was right. It a holiday. And so, you know, really we're down to our kind of bare bones winter staff at that time of year. And, you know, we only had one of our rangers on, Chris Harder. He was up at Surprise Lake when you fell. And so he initially took the call and got on the radio and asked dispatch to send anybody they could. I remember taking the call at home and driving lights and sirens up to the rescue cache because I knew there was, I think, only Matt on at that time who was able to help. And I knew Chris was currently in charge of the rescue, but he was at Surprise Lake running down the trail. My name is Matt Wilbur. I'm a Snake River supervisor. I've been working for Grand Teton four years, and I was a short hauler in medical. I was actually in my office getting caught up from the summer 
working on paperwork. I heard the call come in, and uh, Chris, I believe, actually gave me a call on the radio, asked me to respond up there, and I headed to Lupin Sarkash to receive the helicopter coming from Jackson Airport. They landed as I pulled up, and at that point, we started coming up with a game plan. When I fell, from her viewpoint, she couldn't see me. So she had, like, panic of, like, I cannot see Millie. So she, on her way down, sprained her ankle, but she got to me as fast as she could. She was trying to just figure out where I was. Apparently I was awake, but I don't remember it. And she was asking me the, like, what's your name? How old are you? What date is it? And where are we questions? Apparently I wasn't giving her the right answer, so she was just repeating them over and over. And maybe it was, like, her way of trying to, like, assess the situation. What I do remember, though, is, like, finally giving her the right answers, or what I think were the right answers. I gave her my wrong age. I was like, I'm 23. And then I said, oh no, I'm 24. So I remember her asking, what day is it? And I said, Columbus Day. And she said, where are we? And I said, Avalanche Canyon. Once she figured out that I was like kind of conscious and aware, she took out her cell phone and she was like, I don't have any bars. I don't have any signal. I can't call anyone. And I said, check my phone. And so she opened my backpack and she found my cell phone and somehow my phone had enough bars that she could call someone. For her to call 911 and to get better reception, she had to like walk away from me. And she said, I'll be back. It's, it's going to be OK. I'll be back. And I think through all of this, like Laura's trying to keep her tears in. I see her walk away. And what I feel like is forever takes her to call 911. But again, I'm sure it was just a couple seconds. And she comes back to me and she says, they're on their way. I was laying down. Um, but I was at a weird angle, so I think there was like a rock or something, a bush maybe to on my left side. Both. And both. Oh, <laughs> both. okay. <laughs> um, and so I was at this weird angle, and I was like, I just want to lay down like flat. I remember touching like th- this grass that's next to me, and like trying to hold on to it and help it move me. Didn't work out really well because it's grass. She actually probably landed in the only spot she could have landed, and walked away. It wasn't probably the most comfortable location <laughs> by any means. She was surrounded by big boulders. Boulders. She landed in vegetation. The conveniently placed place. patch of grass. <laughs> it had to be growing remarkable. there. Remarkable. Thousands of years just for me. me yes, exactly. <laughs> Lupin Meadows is a trailhead. Well, it's really a big beautiful meadow, kind of right at the base of Timonot. The rescue cache is kind of log style structure. You know, it's where we keep all of our equipment, do all our meetings, and run all of our rescues. I think we pretty quickly just talked through a quick plan of trying to fly Matt and Scott in to do a reconnaissance flight. You guys grabbed what you needed and were, I mean, you were out the door pretty quick. A lot of times these situations, there's a lot of careful planning, maybe uh, uh, several folks involved talking about risks. Uh, this particular time, knowing that Millie, a friend, colleague, was up there hurt badly. I mean, it might, she said it earlier, palms starting to sweat, mine are sweating right now too, just listening to her kind of recreate the situation, heightened our urgency a little bit. But then also the individuals who are there, Scott, Chris, I've worked with Chris for a long time, and uh, I know how he thinks and how he works. And so when the plan comes up, there wasn't really a need for further discussion unless there's some huge safety factor in there we need to talk about, we didn't need to go back and forth on the best way to do things. And so I think everybody was on the same page and 
being kind of one of your own, uh, been through that before. And uh, it just, it heightens the awareness and it, the adrenaline, the fear factor, you don't know what you're going into and seeing. And initially, there were a few minutes where I was pretty nervous and I've been doing this a long time, but that experience kicks in and I knew the people around me I was working with, I trusted them wholeheartedly. So that allowed me to focus completely on Millie and on my own emotions. And that helped. I knew we had enough time to get ourselves in, but are we going to have enough time to get back out? You're listening to The Fine Line, a podcast produced by Backcountry Zero, a project of Teton County Search and Rescue. Backcountry Zero is a community vision to reduce fatalities in the Tetons. You can support Backcountry Zero by sharing this podcast. Find more episodes by going to backcountryzero.com and looking under the Connect button. Rescue Ranger Matt Wilbur is flying recon in the helicopter looking for Millie. He's also looking for a place to land in the very rocky Avalanche Canyon. The rotors of the helicopter need a very specific area to land. So we had to take, I'm wanting to say, three passes over the area once we found Millie before we found a large boulder that was somewhat flat with just enough angle to allow Steve, the pilot, to land. We were landing on a boulder and there was very little room for Scott and I to get out and stay put while Steve took off. We were both panicking because, again, we also realized that it was really late in the day because I fell around three? Uh, Almost four was when we got the call. I was also panicking because everything was starting to hurt more and more. Like, I think my body was finally, like, realizing that things were broken. I just kept asking her to call 911 over and over again. I could feel, like, something really wet on my elbow, and the only comfortable spot was for, for her to put her knees underneath my elbow. And at some point, I touched my head, and we realized that I was bleeding profusely. So she tried, like, putting something on my head, but it didn't really work because, again, I was laying down at this weird angle. And I kept asking her to to move me. She just kept, like, directing my attention somewhere else because she could see, you know, the condition I was in, and she didn't want to move me. Um, But I just wanted to lay down. (laughs) And so I do remember Laura saying, I can hear the helicopter. I'll be back, don't worry. And so she moves my arm and she walks away. Again, this is me remembering on pain. So, you know, how much of this is actually true? Uh, I don't know. I remember her coming back and saying, I found them, they're gonna be here. And so that's when like, I remember hearing the helicopters and it did take a couple passes. When you did land, I could see like the two little squiggles of like red or yellow <laughs> that you were wearing and you were like walking towards me and I was like, yes, finally. <laughs> but it, again, 15 minutes, it's, I'm sure it was really, yeah, 15 minutes is 15 minutes, but in my head it felt like seven hours. Right. But when like, you're in pain, you know, everything feels like it takes so much longer. I was just looking at the times and it was an hour and 15 nice. between when our dispatch received the call and when these guys were setting down there in the canyon. So from our perspective, <laughs> that's pretty fast um, to get people on the ground in a, in a challenging place like that. But I, from a you know patient perspective, having just taken that kind of fall and having those kind of injuries, that's a long time to wait. Yeah, the entire time we're walking across, just see this cliff band, see where they are. You know right away that this was a significant fall. Get on scene. Millie was awake, and uh, she was responding to questions. 
it looked to me initially that from what I was hearing, the fall was actually even maybe even a little higher or longer than what's reported. Hard to say, but my estimates were probably 70 feet between sliding, tumbling, and then probably a 20, at least a 20 foot vertical fall to where she was. It appeared just right away that Millie's entire right side basically was um, broken, if you will. Seemed like shoulder, ribs, femur, those were the big things, difficulties breathing. I don't know what our, we call it pumpkin time is, but it's basically the time that we're not allowed to fly a helicopter anymore after because the light's too low. But I'm guessing somewhere, give or take seven o'clock. So, you know, we did have a pretty small window of, of time to to use the helicopter. And uh, that canyon is really rugged. There's a lot of trees down in it. It's not like just putting somebody in a wheel litter and rolling them down a trail. That was gonna be a significant ground evacuation if we had to go that way. And so the options I were thinking about at the time was we need to get Millie out now. Yeah, <laughs> like <right>. that's, <laughs> that's our option. Let's make that happen. happen. Ryan Schuster showed up, another fellow working for Jenny Lake. I immediately asked him to get ready to spot for short haul. So usually when we, sh- when we do a short haul mission, we have the pilot flying the aircraft and then we have a, a spotter who's sitting, you know, in the door watching the operation, helping the pilot with the observations. Scott pretty quickly asked for us to insert litter and medical equipment via short haul. Oh, so mm-hmm. we, you know, as soon as the helicopter got back, we rigged the helicopter for short haul and put Schuster on board and, and then uh, sent that stuff in. And then Scott asked for more personnel. And by that time, Carter had completed his <laughs> heroic run <Yeah>. from surprise <laughs> to the rescue cache. Giovanni Tabachi. Mm-hmm. Um, who's a Snake River Ranger, Ed showed up. And so we took a short haul line off and then flew those two guys into that landing zone and dropped them off. Um, and it was pretty, it was kind of rapid fire. The insertion of uh, Chris Harder and Giovanni Tabachi were, that helped the entire scene because uh, one of the pieces of equipment that came in with the litter was uh, what we call a suck bag or a vacuum bag. It's a big mat full of beans, like a bean bag scene, and you wrap that around a person take out all the air and it turns into like this little cocoon and we needed that in Millie's situation as far as to stabilize her be able to move and uh, a lot of the times we were hoping that Scott and I could do that on our own maybe a little help from Laura but it was obvious right away that that was not going to happen with just two to three people because it was going to be a fairly difficult project to get her onto that mat and we actually had to lift her completely off the ground. So I believe there were five of us on her, and Laura may have been the one pushing that it. pushing yeah. and getting the mat in place. Um, I know for a fact it was not a fun moment for Millie. Prepped her, even with all the pain medications on board, the kind of injuries she had, it was like, this is going to hurt, but it has to be done. It was just a real quick, everybody talked it through, lifted her up, put her on that mat. We wouldn't have been able to do that without Harder and Giovanni. I do not remember G or Chris getting on scene, but I do remember asking you if I could have a blanket or something. Mm-hmm. Or maybe I was shivering and I kept saying I was cold. Um, and one of you gave me a blanket. I don't, I don't remember what it was, but I said something like, can I have one of these for Christmas? <laughs> yeah. 
I was shivering so much and it was just like so cold. I might have had a bunch of stuff on me, but it just wasn't keeping me warm enough. And that like blanket or whatever it is you put on me. It was like a a big sleeping bag, two piece sleeping bag. (laughs) Yeah, that thing was the most amazing Mm -hmm. thing ever. I was like, I love it. I was like finally warm and it felt so comfortable to be in this cocoon until you realize that like you can't there's like a lot of things over your face and I felt like I couldn't breathe and I was panicking over that too. I was like, I can't breathe. It also didn't help that like my chest was broken. Uh, my sternum and my yeah shoulder were broken. So breathing was difficult already. And so having like just an extra thing around me, like putting me in this cocoon, like made me feel even more like anxious. We, we sat there and uh, just you looking up at me and asking me to hold your hand. <laughs> there after I was done doing what I was doing. We sat there and just held your hand for probably 10 or 15 minutes, <laughs> you know, and it helped calm you down. It helped calm me down. That doesn't happen very often. And that, that helped me <laughs> cal- calm my nerves. I might've made a re- lot of stupid jokes. I'm sorry. I don't remember the jokes, but <laughs> yes, you, there were quite a few pain meds on board. <laughs> Once Giovanni or G, calm G and harder arrived, we go through the painful process of getting Millie packaged and into the litter. That probably took us 10 to 15 minutes from start to finish. The helicopter had to be set up again for short haul, 150 feet of line. Is that what we used? Yeah, we used 150. Um, so the ship had to go back down to Lupin Sarkash to get prepped for that. When it arrives, we're ready for a short haul extrication. This was actually my first true patient short haul. I've trained with uh, Jane Lake for the last couple of years, lots of rescue time back at Rocky, but this is my first true patient hanging underneath the ship. For as nervous as I should have been for that, I didn't even think about um, what was about to take place. I knew we were on a time crunch, Millie needed to get out, and this was the best way to do it. And having Chris down at ICP, Ryan, who's another good friend and worked with him a long time, being my spotter, uh, meant a lot. And then Scott uh, on scene ops, I'd I didn't even think about everything else going on. And a lot of times I am thinking about everything else that's going on. Um, The only thing I needed to do for the short haul was ensure my two carabiners were clipped properly, clip in, let Steve, the pilot, know. They start to lift off. All you can see is kind of her eyes and her nose sticking out of that bag. So it was just a matter of making sure she was as comfortable as she could be and me keeping us from spinning. Seven minutes. Seven minutes. Is what I have on the radio yeah. log for the flight. Was it seven From hooked and ready to oh. on the ground at Lupin. Yeah. That's impressive. Yeah, I don't remember much of that, uh, that flight. Again, what I think I remember, I don't know if it's true, but I, at some point coming out of like this state of, you know, pain and medication, I think I remember thinking to myself, I'm hanging from a helicopter and the sun is setting, I want to see the mountain. So I might have asked you to move your head or maybe I was trying to get your attention to move Mm -hmm. your head. Right. Because I just wanted to see the mountains as the sun was setting while I was hanging from a helicopter. Helicopter. Millie was on her day off, but because she was an employee, a lot of people knew her in the park. And, you know, the chief ranger was there. um, The superintendent was there. (laughs) Like there were a lot of people worried about Millie. So I think not just me, but everybody else was pretty relieved to, to get her out and that that window of time. Jim Warren, who's uh, our EMS coordinator and a wonderful paramedic, took lead at that point. I remember Jim Warren saying, I'm Jim Warren, I'm taking care of you or something along those lines. And me looking up at him and saying, I'm Millie. I think we've emailed all summer long. Nice to meet you. And I think I tried like putting my hand up 
to give him a handshake. But I don't know. Did that happen? It did happen, oh, I okay. believe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, nice to meet you. And he said, yeah, we'll do that later or something. Yep. I remember Scott Williams, I think, was driving. So he went over my head and he's like, I'm Scott and I'm and I'm driving um, the ambulance. We'll be there in no time. I had never broken a bone until that day. So I woke up uh, in bed at the hospital uh, and I looked down and I had a lot of bandages and Greg was next to me. Everything was just throbbing. Just to be a person hurt. Sitting hurt, standing hurt, talking hurt, laughing hurt. Their nurses had to make the, this picture. It's a sick figure of me with all my injuries because they didn't want to forget to look at one of the bandages. So they made this picture to pass around to each nurse. Um, and so there was a couple of versions of this. Every nurse had it in their pocket or in their hand every time they saw me because the nurses rotate every 12 hours. So there's a staples with a question mark. I did have staples. I had 13 staples to the head. I had um, broken sternum and clavicle, broken elbow. I had a third broken rib, broken femur. My knee was, I had giant laceration or cut. Comminuted right foot. So that just means like, Another word is like pulverized, but just a lot of broken bones. I had a puncture wound to my left leg, an L2 compression, and a bruised heart. That's it. That's it. <laughs> mm -hmm. There was like an outpour of love and support and positivity from my coworkers and the community. So I just felt so loved. And it was easier to, to recover knowing that everyone was rooting for me. I'm not angry about the events. I'm not sad about the events. It's just another thing that has happened. And, you know, when you're out there in the mountains, just be careful. The mountains don't care who you are. You have to respect them. I guess always keeping that headspace um, when you're out there exploring. You, you can't, you're not stronger than the mountains. <laughs> yeah. The outcome of this is phenomenal and it speaks volumes about who Millie is, her heart, her personality, her will. To see her basically walking around normally after a fall like that. I remember the first time seeing you basically walk. It's like, I cannot believe this is happening right now. She's a strong individual. The general route up the canyon goes up this long talus slope that's on the north side of the, the canyon. Once you get up high on this talus slope, then you can traverse um, across a real big talus-covered area or ledge system almost towards the lake. And I think what happened to you guys is that when you're coming down, and I think this actually happens pretty frequently, is folks have a tendency to start dropping yep. down too soon in that traverse back to the to that long talus slope. That's probably what happened to you guys yeah. is that you ended up dropping down a little too soon and got sucked into that cliff band yep. area. You know, a lesson there is like, if you're getting into terrain that you don't remember from the way up, maybe backtracking to mm -hmm. where you do remember and, and looking for that alternate route. Yeah. I think it's in all of us. Like, I mean, I do the same thing. Like, ah, I can get through there. <laughs> like, yeah. I'll work that out, you yeah. know? I mean, that's what we do all the time in the mountains. I'll be fine. I'll push through that. Um, and 99.9% .9 of the time, we all are. It Really, it's that 0.01% time that you're out there that you just, you know, lose your footing have a little slip and a lot of these that's how it how it happens this podcast is produced by backcountry zero a vision of the teton county search and rescue foundation to reduce fatalities and serious injuries in the tetons find out more at backcountryzero.com